All right, welcome to 2019. All right, happy new year, all that good stuff. Um, and so we wanted to kick off our first service uh, this year with the family worship weekend. And what that means is simply this, um, is that we're going to adapt this thing over the next coming months. And we're going to, uh, my hope is to have this four, five, six times uh, throughout our year uh, where we have our kids with us in the service. And so I know that they're super excited for that. Um, as well as you parents are probably a little bit nervous with that. Like, what does that mean? So, so I'm just going to let, let the, just address the elephant in the room right off, all right? I know it's going to be a little more squirmy. I know it's going to be maybe a little more loud. I know that some of that, those kinds of things may happen because anytime you add kids to the mix, you never know what you're going to get. And, and hear me, as a pastor, as a church, we're fine with that um, because what I know is that we as a church love kids and we are fine with the squirminess. We're fine with the noise. We're fine with, with all of that stuff. So mom, dad, breathe easy this morning um, because our heart is this, is we want to come alongside the family. We want to encourage. We want to champion uh, I mean, we want to pray with. We, we want to be about kids and families here at New Life. And so we're going to do everything we can to put our energy and effort into that. And so this morning, uh, kids, welcome to big service, big church, as I always called it as a kid. We are excited to have you, um, and you are welcome in this place, and we love you, um, and we want to celebrate you. And so um, this morning, my game plan is this, and I'm going to go ahead and box myself in, and I know you're going to laugh, so I'm just going to go ahead and get it out there as well. My goal my plan is to go 20 to 25 minutes. Okay. Um, th- th- I've got clocks everywhere looking at me, so I am going to do my best to do that because I know with little ones it gets a little more uh, antsy, they get a little more um, wiry, ready to go, and so that's my goal, that's my plan this morning uh, is to do that. So to do that, we need to jump in um, and, and see where God leads us this morning, and so 2019, our whole point here this morning is to look at who we are as a church and what we believe God has called us to do as a church. And so our vision, our heart is to make disciples who make a difference. And so that's what we're going to talk about this morning because when better to talk about it than the first of the year, right? We're getting all of our resolutions in gear. We're, we're hopefully we're six days into it. I'm kind of getting refocused, all of those kinds of things. It's good for the new year. It's always like a good fresh start. And so um, my hope is that this morning as we look at discipleship, Matthew 28, as we look at discipleship this morning in this place, maybe it'll be a, kind of a refocusing for us. It's refocused me this week as I've studied, as I've prayed, as I've looked at it. And so I hope it does the same thing for you. And so leading up into this week, I was just thinking, um, as a sports season, football season kind of winds down, I was just thinking of teams. I was thinking of sports. Love sports. I'm a sports guy. And so as I was thinking about that, I was thinking about coaches, systems, all of those different things, campuses, programs, all of those kinds of things that, that, that um, house sports, house college sports. And so um, at the beginning of the season or even before the season begins, what happens is you've got these coaches, you've got this university, they get together and they start to set some goals. And so as coaches, as a staff, they get together, they're setting these goals, they're trying to uh, project into the future, try to figure out what do we want to do, what do we want to accomplish. And so they, they set some uh, uh, small goals, but then they set the ultimate goal. And so for every year, the team, the ultimate goal is what? Win the championship. So everything is built around that. Everything, all of their energy, all of their effort, everything is built into the fact of winning a championship, whether national championship, whether it's the Super Bowl, uh, whether it's the Pee Wee League, whatever it is, the goal is to win that championship. You want to bring home the trophy. So everything, all of their energy, effort, resources go into that. So their facility, their, their planning, their strategy, um, the weight room, the, the meetings they have, everything, they're super intentional with that. 
And so as I was thinking about it, as we've got the championship coming up um, uh, tomorrow, as I was thinking about that, as I was uh, just pondering back on my poor team this year, all of that good stuff, and just, uh, just lamenting for a few moments, I got to thinking about, what about the church? What about us as the body of Christ? Have you ever thought of it that way? Have you ever looked at it or approached it that way? What are we hoping to accomplish? Where are we looking to go? What are we looking to be about? And so if I pulled everyone in here this morning, give you just a moment to jot down a few things and turn it in, and we looked at it this week, we'd probably have answers all over the page, all over the board. They, they would probably be everywhere. So some of the responses that we might get is butts and seats. And what I mean by that is a win for the church is attendance, right? You, you need people here, and so maybe that's a win for us. Or, or, or what about the tithe? How are we doing financially? How much was in the plate? So that may be a win for the church. How are we doing financially? Maybe salvations. Someone getting saved. That's a win for the church. Maybe that's what you would jot down. Or, or what about baptisms, right? Uh, evidence of someone coming from death to life, uh, um, taking serious their commitment to follow Christ in every area of their life. So maybe it's baptism. Maybe it's children and youth. How many children? How many youth? How many college students do we have? What, what does the, the youngness of your church look like? What is, what is that like? Maybe that's the win. Or facilities. Maybe it's facilities. I can remember, as, as Bill and I talked in the past, it used to be when you arrived as a church, you had a fellowship hall and a van. Now, dang it, church, we got both of those, so we doing it, right? <laughs> so, I mean, but, so maybe that's the way that we gauge how we're doing. Do we have a fellowship hall? Do we have a van? What does our facilities look like? What about this, maybe number of ministries? How many ministries do we have? Do we at least have five, 10, 15, 20, 100? How many ministries do we have going, functioning, serving the world, doing stuff in our world? Maybe all of those things would make the list. And so the, it could go on and on and on depending on how many people you ask that question, depending on how many thoughts or opinions were in the room. But the great thing is this, is we've got God's word to guide us and to lead us. And I believe in God's word, he tells us exactly what we as the church need to be about, what the ultimate win for us is as the church. And so we're going to look at that this morning. So if you've got your Bibles, Matthew 28, um, which children, Matthew is just the first book in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Uh, it's the first book in the New Testament, Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew. And so we're going to be uh, in chapter 28. We're going to start with verse uh, 18. And the Gospels is just simply um, the portion of Scripture where we see the most of Jesus in it. We hear the most about Jesus and his earthly ministry, his life. All of those things are recorded there, the parables, the healings, all of those different things about Jesus is, is found here um, in, the, in the Gospels uh, in the New Testament. So I'm going to ask you if you join me as we pray, and then we will jump into this and see where God leads us this morning. So God, I pray this morning in this place, God, that you help us hear what you have to say. God, that's, that's my desire. That's my heart more than anything. God, help us hear what you have to say, and God, help us to act out in obedience in response to that. God, may it be a yes to whatever you ask us to do, wherever you ask us to follow you. So God, we pray you work and you move in this place this morning. Jesus, thank you, thank you, thank you. And we pray, amen. So what we have here is we have Jesus and he comes and he says, says to them, he speaks to them. 
Um, and so what has happened here in verse 18, Jesus has went to the cross. Jesus has died on the cross, but he has, he has risen again. So Jesus is alive. He's, he's uh, moving around. He's, uh, some places they record that over 500 people have seen him at one time. So Jesus is alive. He's moving. And he is here at this place right now with his disciples. And he starts to speak to them. He starts to say to them. And he does all of this before he uh, goes back to heaven over in the book of Acts, as we've seen there uh, a couple months ago. And he says this, all authority has been given to me in heaven heaven and on earth. And so authority is something that we're all familiar with, right? Because every single person in here is under the authority of someone. And so authority here just simply means this, that Jesus has the freedom and right to speak and say and do whatever he pleases. It's just out of what he says goes. It's this thought of, of he's the boss and what he says goes, M- much like students, much, much like, like mom and dad, right? Mom and dad in the home, what they say goes, they the boss, what they say happens. Uh, much like us adults, right, we, we've got bosses that we report to at work. They've got the authority over us, so what they tell us, we do, we're obedient to. And if you're the boss at your place, well then, uh, even more so than that, we've got the law of the land, which we have to adhere to. So we've got authority. We will never be able to escape authority over us. Never be able to escape. I don't care how successful, I don't care how big and bad you think you are, we will never be able to escape authority, especially for those of us in this room that belong to Jesus, because he will always have this authority over us. So whatever he says, whatever he requires of us, he's got the authority to speak that and to expect that out of us. And so he goes on and he's got his disciples and he tells them this by his authority as, as being the boss, as being the one in charge. He says this in verse 19. He says, go. Pretty simple command, isn't it? Or so it would seem because the reality is this, you and I live this out every day. Kids, you live this out every day. You're going, you're doing, we're going, we're doing. And, and so the literal uh, uh, interpretation of this is as you are going, it's continual. So tomorrow, some of you will go back to school Tomorrow, you'll go to work. Tomorrow, you may go to a friend's house. Tomorrow, you may have to go shopping. Tomorrow, you're going to go. We're going to be going and doing it. So Jesus says, hey, I've got the authority. Now, this is what I say, as you are going. So everywhere you go, you're always under the authority of Christ. Always under, under his authority, obeying whatever he's said to do, obeying whatever he's called you to do. Whether you're in kindergarten whether you're 99, always under his authority. And this is what he says. He says, go as you are going, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Pretty simple, so it would seem. I mean, pretty straightforward. He doesn't sugarcoat it. You don't have to try to guess or interpret. He, He says, this is what I want you to do. This is what I want you to be about. As you're going, as you are living life, as you are being, I want you to make disciples. And I think the problem with this verse is that as we read it, we interpret or maybe hear it a little bit different. I think maybe the way that we interpret or read this sometimes is go therefore and make converts. And that's not what Jesus says. That's not what he says at all. I believe maybe that's part of the process, but that's the part on God. That's, that's not on us. God does the saving. He just uses us to maybe uh, engage in conversation or he uses us to, to maybe share the gospel or he uses us to, to just share life and just live a little bit as we are going. And so maybe in doing that, it piques people's interest. But, but he says, go therefore make disciples, not converts. And so kind of the way that I read it and look at it, I think with this as I was looking, as I was thinking about this whole thought of converts, it, it made me think of this. 
this guy right here. Because see, what we say and what we believe here is that someone that don't know Christ is dead, so that they're not born yet. And then what happens as we engage the lost world, as we share the gospel with the lost world, and and as God opens up their heart to the reality of who they are uh, apart from him, and as he uh, illuminates their heart and their reality of they're separated and sinful and in need of a savior, and as he saves them, they move from dead into infancy. God saves them, and they become infants in the faith. That's the stage we believe they go to next. And so as they're infants of the stage, in the stage, we feel like we've done our job. And so then what happens is this, is we take little, uh, whoever little is, and set him right there on the couch, and we're like, okay, I've done my part, now I can go back to doing what I do. God maybe used me to have a conversation. God maybe used me to uh, be nice one day. God used me to uh, maybe pay for their meal. God used, and I was unaware of any of that, and God saves them. In spite of me, he saves them. And so then we do that. Okay, we've done our part. Now we get to check out a little bit. And so I just want to step away for a moment from the spiritual aspect of it. And let's look at it physically. Me as a parent, as a dad, if I do that, and then I go do my thing, I go live my life, I go be how I want to be, or I want to go to a movie tonight so baby can stay at home on the couch, or I want to, what happens to dad? He goes to jail, don't he? That's neglect. That's abuse. That's endangerment. That's what all of that is. If, if, if I have a child, if my wife and I, if we are blessed with a child and we have a child and we leave it on the couch and we go do what we want to do, Live how we want to live. Be how we want to be. We check on it every once in a while. Is that not neglect? I deserve to be punished. Do I not? I mean, how inhumane is that? But church, the truth is we do the same thing spiritually every single day, do we not? Someone comes to faith, set them on the couch, good job, and, and then we'll do stuff like this. Oh, they're back. This is good. They're here. Okay, we're here. You need to serve. Or you better be reading your Bible. You need to read it more. Read that Bible. Oh, have you given lately? You need to give. Have, have, you, have you done this? Have you done that? Uh, have, children's ministry always needs someone. Oh, you, you're serving there too? Well, you need to serve somewhere else. Or you need to do this. Or you need to give there. Or you need to go there. Or you need to be a part of this team. Or you need to be a part of that team. Or don't forget to read your Bible even more and more and more. I'm just going to set this right here for you. And so we just, what we do is we just throw this thing at them and be like, okay, there you go. Good luck. And, and we expect them to figure it out. And we may give them a little bit here and there. We may check on them here and there and pray for them here and there. But we do that, and, and all I know is this, is a little infant's not going to be able to eat the solid food. They can't chew it up. They'll get choked. And what happens so often is we do stuff like that as the church, or, or we act that way, and, and we give them those kinds of things, and we overwhelm someone that's just come to faith. And, and hear me, this has nothing to do with age. The infancy of where someone's at spiritually has nothing to do with age, I mean, you could be in the church a long time and still be in the infancy stage. Never progress past that. Never have a, a, a time where you're, you're serving, giving your life away, where you're, you're, you're eating up the word, where you're, you're, you're not self-centered but other-centered. I mean, so age doesn't have anything to do with it. The point I'm trying to make is simply this, is that we as the church do that. And then maybe whenever they've done something that we've seen is right, we'll move on to something a little heavier like a, a Christmas tree brownie. 
Sometimes, I mean, we want to, you're right, you can have something good every once in a while. And so we, we try to, here, just eat that. Good luck. And so we, we do those kinds of things, expecting them to get it. When in all reality, what, what we need to do in this whole thought of making disciples, because, because hear me, if it wasn't possible, Jesus wouldn't tell us to do it, right? It wouldn't be a command. So when Jesus says, all authority has been given to me, he establishes his authority, how? By raising from the dead, by being God in the flesh, he establishes his authority, and as he establishes his authority, then he gives a command to the church, and he says, church, go. As you are going to do what? Make this, this is what we're to be about. This is the win, this is the trophy that we hold up. This is the thing that matters so much for us as believers is, is disciple making. And is it possible? Absolutely, because if it wasn't, Jesus wouldn't say that it was. He wouldn't call us to do something that we couldn't do. And so maybe instead of that, what we need to do is get a bottle or, or this young guy, he looks like, how old are you, bud? He told me he's about eight months. Nine months. They can do applesauce, man. They can do applesauce. They can do stuff like that. So what it, what it needs to look like is, is more instead of us just giving them all these things to do or, or ex- expectations or requirements, it, it, it probably should be more like this. Let's come alongside. You, you want some of this here, buddy? I'll open it for you. And you open it and you give it to them. How was that? We don't just throw this at them. We intentionally walk with them, asking questions. How's life going? How's, how's your time in the Word? Struggle has been a struggle for me too. Your prayer life. What are you praying about? What's God doing? And so we intentionally walk. And as we build a relationship, as we grow, then we earn a favor. We earn the ability to be able to speak into their life more. So then we can ask those piercing questions. What are you struggling with? What does Satan use to trap you? How are you fighting that? How is your giving? How, how, is, how are you loving your wife? Like Christ loved the church. How are you serving? Why are you serving? Why that ministry? Oh, you know what? Next week, I've, I'm going to be in the student ministry. Can, can I see? Would you? Let's go talk to the student pastor. Maybe, maybe you can just hang out with me that week. And we can, man, kid, these students, they need Jesus. They need people that can invest in them and share Christ with them. These kids, they need that. So we do things like that. As we grow, we insert ourselves into their life. We be intentional with them as we are going. And see, this could be somebody from work. It doesn't have to be somebody in our church. This should be happening in our church, but this needs to be happening somebody at work. As you are going in your neighborhood, in your community, at school, just because you're in school or you're younger doesn't mean, doesn't mean that you're exempt. Jesus doesn't say, okay, anybody over 30, go make disciples now. That's not what Jesus says. He says, no, go make disciples. That's what he says. And you know what I've learned? Y'all smell that? Hey, I'm just gonna leave him right here. Yeah, because that happens. As you make disciples, as you do life with people, it gets messy, it gets difficult, it stinks sometimes. You have to change diapers. Why? Because as someone grows in Christ, they they make those mistakes. They don't know. It's not just in us to do the right thing every time. It isn't just in us to to be mature. You can't expect an infant. I can't expect my six-year-old, I was going to say to act like me. I can't expect my six-year-old to act like his mom. (laughs) Why? He's six. It's not going to happen. 
Well, because he's got to grow and mature. And so what we do is we get to guide and move and help and, and show and model and do all of those things. And hear me, church, that's what we need to be about. That's what it looks like for us as disciples. So we want to be serious. We want to be serious. And so I just want to press you here for a moment because I'm not going to, I don't want to ask you to do something else. That's not what I'm asking you. What I'm asking you is this. As you go, hey, dude, could we just go grab a cup of coffee? Oh, you got to eat lunch this week. Where are you going to eat lunch this week? I'm in. Let's go. My treat. Things like that. It's super easy for us to engage people, to ask them to join us or to ask them to join you. Let's go eat. Let's go have a cup of coffee. Hey, dinner this week at my house. What's your family schedule look like? Let's go. Just things like that whereby we can get with people. I'm not asking you to add something extra. I'm just asking you to do life. And as you do life, invite people in to do life with you. That's what I'm asking you to do. Which brings me to the next question because I believe as Jesus, as Jesus says this, go make disciples of all nations. I believe maybe one of the hangups we have is what is a disciple? Because again, I believe if we take a poll, we would have a thousand different answers of what a disciple is. And so I believe one of the simplest verses that helps describe this, helps break this down for us is Matthew four nineteen, And this is what it says. He says to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. I believe that is a beautiful picture of what a disciple is. It outlines it perfectly for us. When Jesus says, follow me, he invites them in. He rescues them. He invites them in to be born again, to be saved. I believe for us, a disciple, first and foremost, is someone who has a relationship with Jesus Christ, someone who has come to faith in Christ. You've got to be saved. You have to be a part of his team. You've got to be in to be a part of him. You've got to believe and, and have a relationship with. So it's whereby you see yourself in light of who he is. Desperate need of a savior, of rescuing from your sins. The second part in that is this. He says, I will make you. That means this, a disciple, someone who's saved, a disciple, someone who's being changed. Because see, the reality is this. We should look a lot less like us today than we did yesterday. Lord, heaven help us a lot. We should look a lot less like us today than we did the day that we got saved. Because hear me, the most loving thing I can tell you this morning is this, is if you look a lot like you did when you got saved, and I'm not talking about physical features, I'm talking about spiritual heart type features. If you look a lot like you did the day that you got saved and you've been saved any length of time, then there's an issue. There's an issue. Because all I know is if my boy is six years old and he's still this size, we've got a major problem. But my fear is, is that's what the church looks like. That's what's happened in the church. We've been saved 5, 10, 15, 20 years. But we're still sucking, we're still sucking on a bottle when it comes to spiritual things. We're still not eating the meat of the word. We're still not making disciples. We're still not giving our life away and serving. We're still, we're still not doing those kinds of things that, that, that would, would help that show that we're mature disciples. And then the third part is this. He says this, he says, and then you will be fishers of men. It simply means this, we're on mission with Jesus. We go do what Jesus would do. We go act like Jesus would act. We say the things that Jesus would say. That's what we do, we're on mission with Christ. What did Christ do? He come to seek and save the lost. We don't save, but we point to the one who does save. That's what we do. We get on mission with Jesus and we do what Jesus would do. We act like Jesus would act. And so we believe those are the three components. Three components of what it means to be a disciple. And so the reality is this. Every single one of us in this room is making disciples. Every one of us from the youngest to the oldest. We're, all, we're making disciples. 
I think maybe a better question is disciples of what? What are we modeling? What are we showing? What are we doing in making disciples? So we're making disciples at work. We're making disciples in the home. We're making disciples at church. We're making disciples in our community. We're making disciples at the store. Why? Because people watch us. I don't care who you are. Everybody watches somebody. And you're being watched. You're being observed. People are taking notice. The way you talk, the way you respond, the way you act. All of those things are being processed every day. Every day. And especially if people know that you belong to Jesus, they're gonna watch even closer. They're gonna watch even harder. While some to try to justify actions, to try to justify life. And some is because they're just hungry and they wanna know. They're just hungry and they, they're in this stage. They're in this try to figure it out stage and they wanna see what's happening, what's going on. How does a Christian really act? How does a believer really behave? What do they really do? They say these things, but do they follow it up with a life lived? And so we're all making disciples. And so family worship weekend, if you're a parent, you're doing the same thing. Even at a more intense rate, I believe. Even at a more um, intense focused rate. So what's happening is this, you as a parent, you are making disciples of those little hearts that watch you and mimic you, that take in and see everything that you do. And so I have two little guys right now in my life, a six-year-old and a three-year-old, and I'm responsible for loving and sharing Jesus with them. I don't believe it's the church's responsibility. I believe it's mine first, and then the church comes alongside, and we compliment, and we help, and we're a resource for. But I believe it falls on me and Meredith, my wife. It's our job to raise our boys in the Lord. It's our job first and foremost Man, this is just secondary. This is just supplementary is what this is. So for me as a dad, it should be about me leading my home. It should be about me leading my family. It should be about me pointing to Jesus the most. My wife and I should be the greatest examples of Christ in our home. So I say that to say this, is that it's not always like that. We struggle just like everybody else. Quiet time, good lands. How do you be quiet with a six-year-old and a three-year-old, right? Boys. How does that work? And a 35-year-old boy. How does that work? You know? And I'm like everywhere. All, I, I, it's just crazy sometimes. And so what I want to do is this. I want to do this. If, if you're a parent, and I say a parent of children because I know we've got like animal parents, but I, I want to distinguish parents of children. Um, I, I want you to do this. I want to try to encourage you this morning. I want to ask if you'd stand for a moment. If you have got a child, if you'd please just stand. And I want you to stay standing for a moment because what I want to do is I want to encourage you I want, to, I want to try to encourage, this isn't a guilting, there's nothing with it, I just want to try to encourage you. And so if you're a parent, how many of you, normally sane people, and I know that's kind of very out there, so normally sane people have at one point or another just lost your mind on your kids? Yeah, okay, everybody look around, look around. Yours are not old enough yet, just hang tight. Okay, good, good, good. All right, good, good. Um, so you're not the only one that freaks out. Good, we're, we're, I'm, I'm creating something. Just hang with me, hang with me. Put your hands down for just a second. Now, how many of you, in a good desire to discipline and shape your child, have disciplined probably more aggressively or a little bit further than you needed to? All right, kids, so you're not alone. Look at that hand. No, 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 there's no shame here. There's not gonna be like a good, 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 good. All right, okay, you can have a seat. You can have a seat. Um, I did that to say this, this task is epic, is it not? But it feels so impossible. 
I mean, this, the books out there, the, all the, it, it just, it, it, it's crazy how none of that stuff, it, it's all different, is it not? And so this isn't a guilt thing. I want, I want to encourage you. I want to say this. You don't have to be a perfect parent. You don't because you can't and you won't be a perfect parent. The great news is this, is that God hasn't asked you to be. It's not the expectation of God that you be a perfect parent. He knows you can't. He knows that you won't be able to. He knows that. So I want you to know that regardless of, of how you snapped or what you've said or how harshly maybe you've punished or disciplined here and there, you've ruined nothing. You have ruined absolutely nothing. Look at me, today is a new day. God can use even that. God can use that in a monumental way. What it means is this, is that you get to engage and live it out before them. Give, give you an example, and this is, I just want to pull back the curtain for a moment. Um, we're in public school now. We, we did the, like, the daycare type stuff up through kindergarten, and, and now we're in public school, and so that means homework. That means spelling tests. Now, if you know anything about me, I'm from West Virginia, and I spell the way it sounds. You know what I'm talking about? So praise God for spell check and the computer. I don't need to spell. I've got a computer that does that for me. But not so in first grade. You need to spell. That's part of the grade. That's part of what happens. You want to educate. You want to teach. You want to learn. And teachers, thank you for that. Because I know I'm not called to be a teacher in the public school because I've got a six-year-old, and I've tried it at home, and it does not work with Dad. I think I'm probably more of a principal than I am a teacher, and so it, it, it was just recent, probably about a, a month or so ago, we're sitting at the table, um, and like a good parent, I waited till Thursday night to study, right? Spelling test Friday, so let's wait till Thursday night. Fun all Monday through Thursday. So spelling test coming up, and so we're sitting there at the table, me and my boy, and I'm giving him the words, and like, I'm like, this, he's not even trying. Now, it doesn't help that it's like 8.15 and he goes to bed 8.30. Um, and so like, he's like holding his eye, and like, come on, dude, get with me. And so I give him the word again. I even spell it for him. I show him. I'm like, look at it. Okay, spell it. He can't do it. I'm like, oh, I'm ready to kill the kid. Like, and we're just going at it back and forth. And I've apologized to you, haven't I? And so we're going back and forth, back and <laughs> Don't you lie in church. Um, maybe this family worship weekend thing isn't such a good idea. But um, so we're going back and forth. And I said, forget it. Let's go to bed. And so we go to bed and I was kind of harsh with him and we're walking back and the principal in me or the dad in me, I'm lecturing the whole way and we get in bed and I'm like, I love you. He's like, I love you too, dad. And we go to sleep and we pray and we do that thing. And I'm like, dang it. You know, kind of, uh, I walk back out and as I walk out, Mayor does that thing, you know, like wives, you know the thing. Like she does the thing, like the I thing. And I'm like, it was too much, wasn't it? <laughs> I'm not saying nothing, man. You just, you the dad. So you know what I do? I go back in the room with my little boy. I get him up and I say, look, dude, I'm sorry. Daddy was wrong. That's not how men act. And so daddy wasn't acting like a man. He was acting like a little boy. And I need to tell you that I'm sorry. I need to tell you that I'm wrong. And buddy, I love you, and, I'm, and, and so we just had that whole thing, and he says he forgives me, and we hugged it out, and he finally goes to bed, and I come back in there, and I'm like, boo, I, I said, I'm sorry. We, me and him are good. We're good now. And so then me and her, we're good. And so I say that story to say this, is look, we're all going to lose it. We're all going to mess up, and not just even with your kids, but just even as a disciple maker, period. With the people that you walk with at work, same thing's going to happen because we can't live this life perfectly. It's not going to happen. It's not. And so what we do is when we mess up and we have those mistakes, we own it. 
You know what I could have done? I could have made my little six-year-old boy go to bed thinking that, that, that he was just whatever and have that moment against dad and he could have went to bed and he could have slept on it and he could have woke up the next morning. We'd have probably been good. But you know what would have happened? Years down the road, he would have reflected back. And you know what probably is going to happen? Down the road, he's going to have kids of his own. And there's a way to raise them. There's a right way to do it. And, and, and hear me, as parents, when we mess up, as disciple makers, when we mess up, as Christians, when we mess up, we own our junk. And we make right what we've wronged. First, by going to the throne, and second, by going to the one that we've wronged. That's what we do, and that's what I did. That's disciple making right there. So my hope is this, is that my little six-year-old boy, one day when he has kids, he'll reflect back on how dad did it. And when he has one of those moments, because I don't care how great a parent you are, it's going to happen that they'll respond in the right way when it comes down to it. And so then Jesus goes on and he says this, as we start to land the plane a little bit, he says, baptizing him in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And I just love this part because I think we wax by it so quick, but part of the discipleship process is this, being baptized. And hear me, baptism doesn't save you by no means. That's not what this, it's not a completion to salvation. That's not what the scripture teaches. That's not what Jesus teaches. What it is is an identification it shows to whom you belong. When you're baptized, you're saying, man, I used to be dead, but now I'm alive. I was dead, and now I'm raised to life by Christ. It's, it's me pretty much putting the bulls out on me. It's me, me claiming to belong to Jesus Christ is what it is. And I'm a follower of Jesus. That's what baptism is. And he says, that's a part of this discipleship thing. And then he goes on and he says this teaching them to observe all the things that I've commanded you. And teaching is not like this. It's not lecture and get you a crowd. No, it's, it's life on life. We do relationships as we are going, as he links it back to the go part. As we are going, as we do relationships, we proclaim Jesus. We challenge, we encourage, we hold accountable. We press against, we, rem we remind, we lift up. We do all of those things. So teaching them to observe has to move away from just surface level stuff. If not, we're just over here throwing little things at them, and it's, hey, man, how you doing? Good? How's your team? Good? Great? Okay. Love Jesus? You too? Awesome. See ya. And then that's it. No, 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 no. That does nothing for spiritual maturity or making a disciple or pressing them on. That's whereby I've stepped into their life, and I'm walking with them, and I'm doing things, and then I get to have those conversations. I mean, how's that struggle that we talked about a couple weeks going? I mean, how's your time in the Word? Good. Great. What does good mean? Good means good, yeah, but, but, but deeper than that. One time this week? It's not even about how many times you do it. It's what you get out of it. It's the heart behind why you do it. It's all, so all of those things get to come out in conversation as we earn that, as we walk with them, teaching them to observe all the things I've commanded you. And so this is a commander for every believer everywhere. And then we often forget this last little promise that Jesus puts on there, and he says, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of age, Amen. Let that sink in for just a moment. Because I don't know about you, but maybe whenever I say, hey, as a believer, so if you're a Christian here this morning in this place and you claim to have a relationship with Jesus Christ, he tells us to go make disciples. So if we don't do something Jesus says, what is that? It's sin, isn't it? It's disobedience. It's sin. And so what does Jesus think of sin? He despises it, does he not? He dies on the cross for it, does he not? And so we may think, oh, this is just a little sin, but hear me, a little sin still puts Jesus on the cross for us. That's what it does. And so what do we do when we hear this, when we see this, when we, when we read this? And, and the reality is this, probably chances are the majority of us in this room is not making disciples. We repent, 
and then we ask God to show us. We repent and then we start to do life with people, intentionally doing life with people. We repent and ask God to break our heart and give us a, a passion and a heart for this. And I know where we often go with this is this thing, oh, I'm just not smart enough. Or I just don't know enough. Or I just, that's not what he says here. He says, go do it as you were living life, as you were doing. Who can pray? This is where everybody raises their hands. Good job. Good. Who can say Jesus loves you? Who can do something nice in the name of Christ? I mean, I mean, I've got a six-year-old boy here who prays for his lunch every day and asks his friends to do it. If he can do it, we can do it. We don't have to be theologians. We don't have to have a four-year degree. We don't have to have a, a doctorate to do it. We've just got to love people enough and we've got to be obedient to what Christ has called us to do. And we can have conversation about the gospel. Hear me, the moment you drop the J-bomb, it gets weird. The, G, the moment you drop Jesus in a conversation, it gets weird. It gets very weird and very awkward. What I've learned almost every time. But we've got to press through that. Why? Because we're called to make disciples. So our vision as we close is this, as Franklin comes, our vision is this, make disciples who make a difference. So to say that we're going to be a church that's serious about making disciples who make a difference, we need to understand that it's going, it's going to be costly. It's gonna cost us time, it's gonna cost us energy, it's gonna cost us effort, it's gonna cost us resources, it's gonna be difficult, it's gonna be frustrating, it's gonna be slow at times, it's gonna be countercultural, but hear me, church, it is worth it. It is worth it, it's so worth it. So thinking about the illustration that I opened up with with the sports team, and we as a church, we wanna be serious about that. That's what we talk about the majority of our time. It's how we can do a better job of, of equipping the saints. How we can do a better job of, of making disciples who make disciples. How can we pour into the lives of people? How, how can we do it? And so, so staff meeting this past Wednesday, I looked at my staff and I said to them, okay, who are you going to disciple this year? Because next, next month when we get back together, I want you to give me a name. Who are you going to go and ask to do life with and invite them into yours for the purpose of making a disciple so hopefully in a year, year and a half, you can release them to go do the same thing? So it's no secret we want to be a church that plants churches. So you know what that means? We're going to need another children's leader, two of them. We're going to need another band. We're going to need somebody that can preach. We're going to need people that can do the sound. We're going to need people that can greet people. We're going to, we need to duplicate. So who, church, who are you going to go after this year and say, hey, I want to do life with you. I want to get to know you and walk with you. I want to invite you in to, to mimic me, to copy me only as I copy Christ and live like him so that we can release. See, I, I really believe with everything in me that Jesus knows what he's talking about. And just to be straight with you, I'm not really good at math, but I think I've got this one. And so a year ago, I stood on this stage and we did a, a mini series about this. And I said, let's imagine for a moment, New Life, if we had 20 people who were willing to be discipled into disciple makers. So do you know right now, we have got about, we're pushing right about 20 life group leaders. That's our small group ministry, life group leaders. We've got about 20, right, right around 20. So imagine this year, if you got that serious about it, where you engaged, where you walked with someone. Look, after one year of doing that, 
We've got 20 after two years. This is gonna be on the screen for you. After, after two years of doing that, there'd be 40 disciple makers. So you know what should happen next year as I stand here on this stage and we talk about it, we should have 40 people who can go make disciples. That's what it should look like. 40 people. So 20 of us in this room that engage week in and week out, we should be finding not just teaching a class, not just leading a small group, not just, not just doing that, shooting an email here and there. We should be engaging someone one-on-one, life-on-life, to the point of where we can release them to go do the same thing. So the next year, we got 40. And look what happens after three years. We've got 80 disciple-makers 80 men and women who can go do that. Four years, 160 disciples. Look at this, five years, that's more than we got in the church. And five years, if we follow this out, we've got 320 people, men and women, who can go make disciples like Jesus has called us and told us to do. Look, 10 years, we've got 10,000 disciple makers. I don't know how many campuses we'll have to have at that point, but we're gonna have to have more than two. I just believe that. 10,000 10 years into it? Is that not crazy? And then look, 15 years, 327,000? 15 years in, 327,000. That one right over there, that makes it a million, right? Uh, Andy, yeah. I'm just checking my math, he's my math guy. That's a million disciple makers. Go to the next slide. In 22 years, 41 million? That's a lot of campuses. That's a lot of new life around this world. 27 years? I believe that, yeah, that makes it a billion. A billion. And look at 30 years. In 30 years, if we just do this simple thing, one person at a time, one of us saying, yes, I'll go make a disciple. I will invest this year in being serious about what Jesus says his church needs to be serious about. Look at what happens in 30 years, over 10 billion people. That's more than the population of our planet. Is that not crazy? So this Jesus, and did he not model it for us? Did he not do it? He had how many? 12, right? And he was closer with the three. And then what did he do whenever he dies and he goes away? He says, hey, now you boys go do it. Just go do it. Do what you've seen me do. Do what you've seen me do. Live like you've seen me live and do what you've seen me do. And what do they do? They do it. We're in the book of Acts, church. We've seen it bust at the seams. God's saving. We're gonna see some crazy stuff happen this coming week about what happens in the church in Acts. I mean, God has got a plan. If we, the problem is not God. The problem is us and our obedience. 30 years, 10 billion people. That's the world. So when I say our vision is to partner with Christ to reach the world one person at a time, and that's doable. When you think about 10 billion people right off them, I mean, that, that takes your breath away. But all I'm asking, I'm asking for the slow plan, man. Like, like I, one year we've got 20, two years we've got 43, we're at 80, and then we go to 160, and then one's at 320, and then we just continue to grow as we go like that. In four or five years, we've, our whole church has been reached. Our, we've got a whole church. More people than in this room that can make disciples that are out there doing it, going after it. So I guess my question for you this morning is this as we close, as Franklin leads us, and I went a little bit over 20 minutes, and I'm sorry, not really, but I'm kind of sorry. You're gonna have plenty of time to talk about this in life groups. But I guess the question is this, where's the breakdown? Who have you committed to this year? And see, that's, that's the thing I love about a coach 
is he'll do what? Is he'll pull his team together every so often and he'll rally them up and he'll get them excited. Like at the beginning of the game, you've got the pregame talk. And then what they usually do is about halfway through the game, they kind of reassess and they see whether they're winning or they're losing or what they need to change. Are they getting beat here? Are they getting beat there? And, and so they do that kind of stuff. And, and so we're at the beginning of the game, church, for 2019. And man, this is me pleading with you. Give your life away. It is worth it. Gosh, it's worth it. And it works. You know how I know it works? Because this guy right here, I didn't have a clue what I was doing whenever I was a student pastor at my first church, but he stuck with me for some reason. This guy right here, I didn't have a clue what I was doing, and I made more mistakes than I did probably good stuff, but for whatever reason, Jesus got a hold of it, and he used it, and he's our student pastor today. There's other guys here, other people sitting in here that I've had the opportunity and privilege to be able to pour into and to do a horrible job at this, but I tried not knowing what I know today. But this is what I know this week as I prayed and as I looked at this, I've got to do a better job. As a leader of this church, as the pastor of this church, man, I, I... I'm not just asking my staff to give me names next month. I'm going to give them names as well. Because there are people that I need to go after, I need to pour into for the sole purpose of releasing to go do the same thing. So you, you, I'm coming for you. I know we've talked about it, dude, but I'm coming for you. You hear me? You little bushy-haired kid with glasses, I'm coming after you. So we're going to do it, church. This is the thing, man. May God pierce your heart this morning. If we don't do something he says it's sin and we repent and then we ask him to, sh this is the thing, he'll show you who he wants you to disciple. He'll show you. And the chances are you probably got somebody on your heart right now, a name on your heart right now of who you need to ask, hey, can we get coffee once a, once a week? Can we go eat once a week? And I don't want to just talk about how life's going. I want to talk about how life is going with the king. God, help us this morning in this place. God, stir hearts, move in a mighty way. Jesus, would you please help us? God, help me to lead this place, to lead this church, to do a better job of this. God, help me to do a better job. God, I'm gonna own some things that I need to own, God. I'm gonna, I'm gonna press into some of those things and do better. And God, I just pray, Lord Jesus, that we would be a church that's serious about this. God, next year when I stand here and we look at this and we talk about this, God, may we have 40 men and women ready to go make more disciples. God, help, God, I'm crazy enough to believe that you've called us to reach our world. God, you're gonna equip us if we'll just listen and follow and be obedient. God, help us get over us so we can get into you. Jesus, we love you. We need you. In your name we pray. Amen. I don't know what God stirred on your heart, but Franklin's going to lead us here for a moment. If you want to come pray, come pray. I'll be in the lobby after. We can talk more about this. If you need a life group to be a part of, um, let me know. We'll get you involved. That's why we've got that board out there. Over the next couple of weeks, we're going to be putting some stuff on that, names of, of leaders and things like that. And so um, all that good stuff is going to be coming. You'll be able to check that out. We can get you plugged in somewhere, put somewhere, uh, life groups on campus, life groups off campus. But we, man, we want our people in a group doing this, doing life together, growing in Christ. So you respond as God leads you. I'll be here to pray if someone needs anything.